Episode 226 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd, and we are here deep within the bowels of Magenta Manor in the Pat Cave, uh, brought to you by uh, Deadly Grounds Coffee on the Dorkening Network. And uh, I, of course, am not here by myself. I am joined by my co-host on the show and my co-host in life. She is the Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the Real Housewife of Transylvania, the Michael Phelps of Wine, the Queen of the Monsters, and an honorary Lizzie. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Ashes Von Nightmare. Hello, everyone. I'm really excited for this episode. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to stall. I'm just going to let you introduce our guest because I'm really excited for this. We have today a very special guest, someone uh, who is a part of uh, many of our childhoods, uh, but mine especially because I watched this movie about 600,000 times uh, to the point where this was one of the two videos that our video store was just like, you know what? You can have it. Like, you've rented it <laughs> enough. You can have it. Uh, we are talking with actor, filmmaker, uh, an all-around awesome goddamn person, Andre Gower. Andre, how are you today? Uh, I am doing pretty good. Thanks for having me in uh, your lair today. Yes, yes. It's, uh, <laughs> I didn't call it the Pat Cave. A friend of mine came up with that. I was like, someone's got to come up with a good name for this. And I was like, you know what? That's pretty accurate. That's a good... It's fitting. Yeah. 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 So you are here yeah, today. Like, yeah, no, you, you always got to, you know, you got to have a space. You know, it's like the, yeah, it's good. Yeah. You know, everybody, you know, the Fortress of Solitude, the Bad Cave, you know, I don't know, those are the only two that come to mind. The sewers, if you're a Ninja Turtle, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's right. I mean, the the treehouse, you know, depending on uh, on where you are. Uh, that works, too. Yeah. Although we anyway, know. no, it's awesome. You know, thanks for having me. Um, I, you know, I'm. It's it's fun. Uh, you know, to to sit down and and be able to kind of talk, um, literally face to face. But not, even though if you're not in the same, it's always better to be in the same room. But because of technology, we can reach out and, uh, you know, for an old '80s phrase, reach out and touch someone when they're not there. So it's nice, like old telephones. But um, I'm I'm showing my age, but. Um, this is awesome. So thanks for having me, and I'm looking forward to it. Oh, of course. So you are here today because uh, you have a brand new documentary that is coming out uh, in just a few days. But uh, before we get to that, we have to do our, our very special getting into character questions because that is something that we like to do with every first-time guest. And um, I think you're actually going to enjoy this. So the first question that I have for you is... As you currently are, your current age, your current uh, uh, physical condition, which of the Monster Squad villains would you most like to go up against because you're pretty sure you can take them one-on-one? -on -one? The mummy. Mm. That's, that's usually the, <laughs> Accurate, the one people yes. go with. <laughs> no doubt right now, the mummy. <laughs> I'm currently nursing a calf injury, a shoulder injury. Ooh. No core strength anymore because yoga ended seven months ago, <laughs> and I'm too lazy to do it by myself in my house. Mm -hmm. And uh, just all around old fatigue, yeah, or older I, person fatigue. I, I know the feeling. Uh, getting out of bed in the morning is kind of like uh, that scene in Return of the Living Dead when the uh, the mortician's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Oh, I'm breaking out the rigor mortis." Like that's how I feel getting right. out of bed in the morning. <laughs> So, You're uh, like, what is what is that that's hurting? Do I have that? What what is that? What is that? I have pains and joints that were removed years ago. That's right. Yeah, I know. I've been, um, you know, I've been an athlete, you know, and, and active, you know, my entire life, and acrobatics and sports. You know, living, you know, I played, 
you know, I played basketball in college and, you know, you injure yourself when you do stuff like that. And I always said I was very fortunate enough that I never had any major, major injuries, you know, that required like big rehab or surgery or anything, luckily. And I was like, but you know what? I think there's going to be one day where the cumulative effect of all the little ones is going to come back and get me one day. And that started about four years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I I mostly managed to do the same. Like I played football in high school, uh, but there was a time at my previous job where I destroyed my ankle. I had a grade three sprain, and right around the time I was almost done with that, I tore the ACL in my other in my other knee. So, uh, yeah, it's like, oh, how do I yeah. limp on both legs? How does that work? That's my uh, that's that's my worst injury. Is that is that same ankle? Yeah. And one thing that when you when you the play. Sports as a child, they don't tell you that those injuries that you sustain are going to come back to haunt you when you're in your mid thirties. Oh no, not at all. <laughs> no, <because laughs> not at all. So, you know, when you're fifteen to twenty, stay hydrated, take your vitamins, and stretch, and that's really all we can do right now. Which is, uh, you know, it is pretty good. All right, yes, the second second warm up. Is there a second warm up? Yes. Yeah. So. You are on death row. I mean, obviously you're not and you will never be, but just hypothetically speaking, you are on death row. What is the final meal that you request before your execution? Tacos inside a burrito with a side order of pizza. Okay. And some hummus. And some hummus. I can get down with that. I can get down with that. With, car- with carrots. <laughs> Probably you got to you got to be healthy, you know. Balance out the, the I, look. I love tacos and that's that's my thing. Uh, pizza's always a thing, but you know I'm a Southern California kid, so tacos and burritos are like mm-hmm. the end of the world. They're the best. That's fine. I'll yeah. I'll take my tacos <laughs> at the end. <laughs> All right. So you mentioned being an athlete, and uh, that's something that I, uh, you know we had known about you, and you've you've had an interesting um, athletic career. Um, you know, including the the circus for a while. Um, (laughs) If you could go one-on-one in any sport, you know, or just, you know, uh, have a friendly competition with any athlete in any sport, who would it be? Like, you know, a sparring session with Bruce Lee or, you know, play horse with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Yeah, that's a ooh, that's a great question. I would oh man, one one on one, like just like me, just me like and, you me and, and that person, you and somebody else, like um, play catch with Dan Marino. I don't know. Laces out, Dan. Laces <laughs> out. Um, let's see. It's, it's probably a couple. Just so I'll go back. Uh, I think it would have been. You know, one on one's tough because that's different. Like you got to be. You know, I'll make it comparable. I would love to. Um, I think it'd be cool to play one-on-one with Dr. J. Um, I would say I would have really loved to have played a round of golf with Arnold Palmer, but that can't happen, so we'll go with Jack Nicklaus. Okay. Um, and those are always you know, the iconic names. There's probably some lesser-known names to be like, what are you talking about? Uh, but that's, that'd be kind of neat. And... Um, yeah, golf and basketball. You know, and tennis, because I'm a tennis player as well well um hence the calf and the shoulder injury currently um you know i i would you know who i'd like to go up against and i'd like to beat yvonne lendl that's who i'd like to be because mm. that was just the enemy of everybody in you know the, the mid mid and late 80s uh but I, you know i'd love to uh i was a 
I love Jimmy Connors as a player. Macaroon was <laughs> yes. great. Um, and those are, you know, the old era, you know, type stuff. But I would love to actually play against the machine, Yvonne Lendl. We'll go with that. All right. That's a good one. And mm. uh, Lendl, uh, one of the uh, one of the few uh, random tennis players to be referenced in a Simpsons episode. The uh, <laughs> the uh, Camp Krusty episode when uh, Krusty's at Wimbledon. And he's yelling. He's like, hey, Lendl, joke. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And that just goes to show how old the writers for Simpsons actually are. So <laughs> yes. that's key. No, Lindell was like a machine. I mean, it was just incredible. He was, and it was so perfect for that Tara. It was just, you know, it, it wasn't, but it was sort of like a Cold War matchup too. It was like watching a, you know, a Gene Hackman or a Stallone movie or something. It was like it's <laughs> yes. just dripping with, you know, all of this kind of competition that had nothing to do with tennis. <laughs> but yeah, so that, that I think those are some three good ones. Those, those yeah, good I agree. Ones. Yeah. What do you got? Uh, so, if they were to remake the Monster Squad, who would you want cast as Sean, your character? Ryan Gosling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, a young I mean, Ryan, Ryan Gosling now. Oh yeah, Ryan Gosling now. Yeah, he's not I mean, Ryan Gosling in like MC Hammer pants dancing in Florida, yeah, but that'd be kind of cool too. But uh, <laughs> no, the answer is always Ryan Gosling to whatever you want. Uh, no, now I don't, you know, it's tough because there's some great, we're obviously talking about, you know, kid actors. Um, there's some great kid actors right out there right now. And you know who I, oh God, I'm blanking on his name. I think a great leader of the squad today. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to look it up because I don't want it. I don't want to, no, no, it's going to take do. two seconds. It's going to take two seconds. Thing. Trust me with technology. I have an answer and I think it's a great, uh, yeah, I do this. Not saying thing. that I want them to remake the Monster no. Squad. Because no, no. Well, like we were going to go. Yeah. Thank you for clearing that up. Uh, but because uh, I almost went boo. Um, no, I'll get there in a second. Oh, yeah. You saw my facial expression. Uh, oh, so I, ha I have my answer. Who I think would be a great Sean in a remake is Miles Brown, who plays the younger male twin on Blackish. Oh, okay. yes. Okay. I think he's hilarious. Yep. Yeah. And he's got such a presence, and he would be a great dorky leader. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, th I think I think it's a good call. I'll go with that. Yeah, okay. that's actually a really great choice. I like yeah, it. I like that you didn't go with like the the typical like oh Finn Wolfhard or like you know Jaden Schwartz or you know one of those those kids you know from like it. Aren't or they already trying? Aren't they already? That they already? Just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't biting off Stranger <laughs> Thing because <laughs> they're fun and they're all great. Um, they're all older now. It's crazy, you know how time goes. These are all kids, yeah, like older weird. teenagers yeah, now. You're like, kids. no, stay young and Stranger Things, Finn. Uh, like Finn Wolfhard is gonna be doing like, you know, college movies now. <laughs> like, yeah, right. no. yeah, yeah. Uh, no, you're right. I, you know, everybody goes with those. I always like to come out with another angle, and I, I love Miles Brown. I love, I love that show. I think it's genius. Um, and they handled, and he's the, the kids on that show are are even better than the adults, and the adults are phenomenal. Mm, agreed. So last question, uh, and this is one that we, we ask a lot of folks. What one piece of movie memorabilia, if you could have anything, what would it be? You know, like a lightsaber or the cane from Citizen Kane? Or... Ooh, um, good question. Let's go opposite ends of the spec. Oh, damn it. Now you got to do something <laughs> not that obvious, but... Since we're dorking out here, I'll go 
with uh, Han Solo's gun belt, mm. which my friend has seen in the archive at Skywalker Ranch. I've been there too, but I didn't go in the archive. Um, <clears throat> uh, it, maybe the piano from Casablanca. That'd be kind of mm. rad. Sam's piano. That's a good um, Yeah, maybe something like that. Then if I'm, what's neat is I was just talking with someone about cool movie kind of props or, or, or items. And uh, when Ryan Lambert and I were doing our podcast, um, obviously called Squadcast, um, <laughs> we, we uh, Ryan had met David Zucker at, at an event and like got him on the, like, we're going to David Zucker's house who, you know, Zucker, Zucker and Abrams made uh, Airplane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, a Kentucky Fried Movie, which is to me even funnier than Airplane. Airplane is my all time favorite comedy right next to Young Frankenstein. Um, but we got to go to his house and he has all of the stuff from Airplane and uh, Top Secret. And I'm like, oh my God. He's got the Nun's Life magazine oh. from Airplane. He's got the uh, the anal intruder from uh, from Top Secret. He's also got, remember when Val Kimmer's on the train and he's painting? Mm -hmm. and he's looking out the window and he's painting and then it has the scene they show and it's all blurry because the train's just flying by. <laughs> genius. Absolute genius comedy. And that painting sitting in his office. Oh my god! This is this is the stuff I would want, and it's sitting right here. Um, but yeah, I think um, yeah, Han Solo's gun belt, um, the piano from Casablanca is pretty pretty cool. Um, yeah, let's go with those. Okay, those are some solid mm. answers. Like no one's answered. I'll come like up with that. something better as we go because, but I was on the spot there, so it's good. No, if you if you do come up with something, uh, you know, feel free to just like suddenly, you know, just, even just if, interject. Yeah, if we're oh, I, even don't, if don't we're worry about that. That will happen. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's a good place to take a quick break. Uh, thank you for your answers. And when we come back, we're going to be discussing the documentary Wolfman's Got Nards. Uh, because we have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this. So we will be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say... Once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Hey there, this is JB. And if you enjoy Tales from the Crypt, then check out my show, Tales from the Podcast, where myself, and usually a very special guest, sit down to discuss the TV show, the films, the animated series, as well as the original comics. So check me out every other week on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and of course, at TalesFromThePodcast.com. Thanks for listening, kiddies. You're all a scream. <laughs> Just something that I've always known. I could always go back to it. It's helped me through some really hard times. That emotional comfort of coming home. That safe net when I didn't feel safe. It takes me back to my childhood every single time. It's like hearing that great rock song when you get your first kiss or something. You always are going to remember it. How many of you had never seen Monster Squad before tonight? 
You're welcome. The seed for the movie was, I want to do the Little Rascals meet the Universal Monsters. Scaring the hell out of kids seemed like a great idea, and then the laughs played against that. It was a crazy time. Everything happened very fast. This is probably the biggest thing I'm ever going to do. I didn't know that this would be such a formative beginning. When Dracula lifted her up, he hissed at me. I didn't have a lot of work to do because she was actually terrified. On an opening night, we went to all the theaters that it was playing in. I will not forget that. It was a huge hit. And by it, I mean the Lost Boys. There was seven or eight people in the theater. And then it disappeared. I never got the sense that this movie was finding a new audience or that its original audience were enjoying it again. The first time I ever saw Monster Squad, I was at a sleepover party with a friend of mine. It was on HBO. Every time we go to the video store, that's what I'd rent. I even had a bootleg DVD. The word got out. Everything we had seen up till then had all been kid stuff, and this was the first taste of something dangerous. These kids are real kids. We were a part of the squad. We went to school with them, and we are them. This movie resonates. They put up the ticket saying Monster Squad Reunion. It sold out real fast. Wait, you know this movie? I did try to start my own Monster Squad. We never actually performed any jobs find lifelong friends because you have this one weird thing in common that nobody else knows about. This is a zine I did. It's called I Had Rudy. Wow. What a really pleasant surprise that this seed that we planted grew into something. It's like shooting a basket in 1987 and then it doesn't go in until 20 years later. And we are back. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that opening discussion because that was a lot of fun. Uh, Andre, you said you had uh, something else you thought of. Yeah, you know what? I would actually like Gort from oh, The Day Yes. Just, so. <clears throat> that would be a good lawn gnome. <laughs> put him, just put him in the front yard like everybody's the, my favorite thing right now is that like 12 and a half foot high skeleton from home depot yes, oh my god i, 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 I love wish that, i had right? a house so i could get one. Oh yeah and uh, but i would i would and they've been doing it but i would leave them out all year because i love skeletons but mm -hmm. i would leave gort standing up on, like the porch or like right <laughs> by the driveway just be like he doesn't have to say anything and he gets you it's good or just get like uh Get like a model train set and just have him like roll around the house home alone style. <laughs> they did that in silver spoons. Yeah. I remember the Ricky Schroeder with his train. <laughs> the actual everywhere. train is so corny. It was so corny. Um, it was thinking... a weird thing. Like when you have like grown men that still like trains that like ride around on train. You're like, you're like, it, I get the train. Like, I had model trains, and I love trains. I love seeing real trains. <laughs> it's like, I didn't want a little mini one in my house. <laughs> I mean, right. as a kid, like, watching Silver Spoons, like, that'd be a good way to get from kitchen to the bathroom. <laughs> and it absolutely was, right? It absolutely was. Um, I was a little, that was one show I didn't guest spot on or, you know, because I was a little younger. I'm a little younger than 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 Rick. Mm. Uh but you know that was Rick and uh, Jason Bateman, 
and Alfonso and stuff like that. So it was, uh, they're all just a couple of years older than I am. So, damn it, I missed out on Silver Spoons. Yeah, because we talked, we we, talked we about that out. a little bit in the, uh, like, how there's that, like, slight age gap where, you know, everybody would hang out and uh, you had that one story about the, the, the birthday party that I thought was phenomenal. And you're, like, looking back at pictures, and you're like, who's that guy standing over there by himself? Like, I thought that was a great story. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's this guy named Brad Pitt. Um, <laughs> boy, he's he's good looking. Maybe he'll be something. Um, yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, great. But yeah, when you're a teenager, you know, to, to to you know to circle back on that, like we were talking about, you know, in the other show, is um, yeah, when you're teenagers, you're you're going to hang around kind of your, maybe even your grade only, or even like your class. Like if you're 10, you're not hanging out with 14 year olds. You're going to hang out with nine, 10, 11. And when you're 14, you're not going to hang out with 10 year olds. It's, you know, so you're kind of, but then when you get to be 30, like 27 is okay <laughs> to hang yeah. out with, right, yeah. you know, so it's, it's that weird time. But I was lucky enough as a, as a kid, when I was working, I started so young and you're around and you're a part of it that, you know, everybody, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a very small, big world. And um, if you're fortunate enough to actually be working in that world, then the world's even smaller. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I was lucky enough to do stuff. And you know, my sister was in the business before I was, and she's a little bit older. And so I got to be around them in that age range. But then meet everybody. But plus, you're working, so it all kind of mixes in. But like, it, it does still kind of separate a little bit, you know, by age, just like in in like in the schoolyard sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, and that, that makes sense. But then sense. you get to college and age doesn't matter. It's fine. Right. So you are here today because you are uh, you're promoting your, your new documentary. Um, and the folks at home, because this is all audio, can't see what's behind you. But the amazing posters, Wolfman's Got Nards, a documentary. Uh, we got the chance to watch that early. And, um, you know, when, when uh, you were on the show uh, before, the one that we did with Leo where we talked about Baby Frankenstein which you uh, mm -hmm. directed and you were in. Um, I had mentioned that there was a, a, a book that I wrote. It hadn't come out. It has come out since then, but there is, uh, there is a story that's in it. It's a very short story. It's two sentences long, and it is called Lock Me Up, based on the werewolf scene in Monster Squad. And it says... Last night I went to the police station screaming that I was a werewolf and needed to be caged, and they shot me 20 times. I'm back again today, and they still don't believe me. That was one of those scenes That's that really... A, I... Go ahead. No, I saw that, by the way, earlier. It's awesome. Okay, Continue. Uh, I was going to say, that was one of those scenes, you know, and there are many of them that really uh, resonated with me as a kid watching this movie over and over again. And I think the only reason that my parents allowed us to watch uh, the Monster Squad is because cause I was young when it came out. And my brother was a couple of years younger than I am. And we had uh, my dad's a big Michael Jackson fan. And of course, Thriller came out in the early 80s. And, you know, that's the greatest music video of all time. But we were, you know, three and two. And, you know, we were very, very young <laughs> when it came out. So. One of the movies we rented, in addition to Monster Squad, like every single weekend, was the making of Thriller. So we got to see kind of behind the scenes. It's like, yeah, this is scary on screen. This is how they did it. So getting to see, you know, 
that that kind of gave us the opportunity to like well you guys can handle the thriller video with all the you know the zombies oozing blood and headless and mm-hmm. you can handle you know some scary stuff you know and it it is uh you know like the, like you guys say in the in the doc it's aimed towards kids because there are kids in it but at the same time like the opening scene with you know the girl eating the possum and you know the uh, the webbed bat hands like so my first question for you is when did you first realize how huge the monster squad had become i I don't know because I think that answer still is evolving because you go back to the seminal event that happened in 19 and a half months or something after the movie died in the box office. Because look, I mean, maybe your listeners know or don't know, or they, like Monster Ball was a, a, a box office dud. Like it was just, it was in, gone, didn't happen, and was forgotten about, tossed aside. And then, you know, some kids saw it then, and then some kids, you know, saw it on HBO and it got passed around the neighborhood when, you know, one kid recorded it and then, you know, it kind of proliferated out. And then like the video store, like your story is you rent it so many times, they just give you the tape after a while. Right. (laughs) And, uh, or, you know, like you steal it and all of a sudden your mom's credit card has a 6250 charge on it or something back in the day, uh, for that licensing fee that's inherent back in the day. But, um, I, I think it was, we knew that, there was something interesting for the film in 2006 when we did the first cash reunion screening on 35 millimeter that had been done in 19, almost 20 years at the Alamo draft house in Austin, Texas. We weren't sure if anybody was even going to show up. And not only did they sell out, they added a second show right after and that sold out like in the same day. And they honestly could have had back to back shows. They could have done four screenings of that on Saturday and Sunday and been chock full, but, that Sunday was Easter. And so they, they weren't even open. And so we saw, we knew something was interesting there, but that was the beginning of it. You know, that was just like, we thought it would, it had a little pop and it would die off and wane maybe after about a year, but sudden we're headlining conventions and Lionsgate's putting out a 20th anniversary special edition DVD. And then we're like, wait, what, what? And, Cause we didn't even know that DVD was coming out. But, you know, the crew showed up at our hotel at a convention to do the commentary and the on-camera interviews. No one told us. <laughs> and we're like, wait a minute, this is <laughs> this is a thing? And uh, I, I do wish I had declined and waited and met them. And I would like to, like, you know, get a haircut or get in the gym or something or be out in the sun for a half an hour. But because uh, I look <laughs> awful on that DVD. It's terrible. And um, I feel so bad that everybody has to watch me look like that on forever on that second disc. But... Um, you know, it was really the 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 kind of just slow upper trajectory of this widening fan base that's now getting more vocal and more connected, and we're going to more events and they get to meet us. Mm-hmm. You know, myself and Ashley, who played Phoebe and Ryan Lambert, and you know Fred Decker, and then the monsters. You know, those character actors started going to give it, and it just started to build and swell. And it, I, I don't think it's, it may have plateaued, but it's not going down. It's just that that original fan base foundation just got more solid and then now what's crazy is we have second generation mom squad fans that are the mm-hmm. offspring of the originals mm-hmm. and if that, that's that's mind-boggling and that's just awesome yeah and that's that's one of the things um because 
she and I come from uh, two very different schools when it comes to this film. Uh, I grew up on it. She didn't see it until we started dating, and I was like, how have you never seen The Monster Squad? Right. You know, because yeah. to me, it was like, it was just something that everyone saw, and it's like, because we were poor growing up, so if I hadn't seen something, or I had something, I just assumed everyone had it, because, you know, we rarely got the, the top-of-the-line stuff, because it just wasn't in the cards. Right. So I was like, how have you never seen The Monster Squad? So tell your story about when you first got to see it. Yeah, so I first watched it for the first time about 10 years ago. And I wish I had seen it when I was younger because I enjoyed it so much. It just, you know, instant nostalgia. And I'm a huge fan of the Universal Monsters. And I loved this take on it. I loved the character creation i thought the kids were adorable and fantastic especially phoebe creature stole my twinkie mm -hmm. i quote that all the time like i don't even like twinkies <laughs> but he'll be like what's wrong and i'll be like creature stole my twinkie um, you know, i'm having a bad day <laughs> yeah, it's, it's code yeah <laughs> and you know, it's it's something that i'm kind of glad i can jump on and be a fan with all of these great people because you know being and, and that's true another thing i'm a huge horror fan so the fact that i hadn't seen the monster squad you know just it was just mind-blowing like how have i you know he's like how have you not seen this and then i watched it and i was like how have i not seen this <laughs> because it's so good and you know it harkens back to you know nostalgia growing up in the 80s and you know something that um um, there's an innocence to the film that's so refreshing with the characters and the kids and it's really terrifying at the same time. You know, mm -hmm. I was telling you after watching it for the first time, if I had seen this at, you know, five, six, seven years old, I would have been terrified of Dracula. He was menacing. And, you know, some of those, uh, like the, the fight scenes toward, like the action scenes toward the end, it was, uh, you know, just... It, phenomenal so well done and then that ending he cries every time so every time i've we we've watched the care. monster squad several times you know i, I would it's say, in our halloween rotation yeah now. it's you know uh, it's a uh, it's it's tradition now and every single time He's like, I, I, I can't, I, I get a little emotional too, watching Phoebe's reaction to, you know, Frankenstein's monster and uh, throwing scraps. I'm going to, I'm going to start crying. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, you know, it was a, a, you know, an interesting tweet the other day. Cause I don't know if you, someone mentioned it about the ending and I was like, you're, you're not alone. Like you're not the only one that, you know, gets a little, you know misty you know at the end when when frankenstein's monster has to leave phoebe i mean that's heart-wrenching and, she's and ashley is so phenomenal in that little scene uh because she's about this big and dom noonan's <laughs> you know like this giant thing and she's trying to hold on to him and it you know it, it 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 just it didn't work that it worked so perfectly i think on screen and it's interesting, you know, that, you, you know, that you mentioned that you didn't see it until later, but you always say, I wish I had because I would have loved it as a kid. Uh, you know, that a lot, too. But we also, you know, we kind of talk about that dynamic that some kids or, you know, saw it when it first came out or the first year or two, HBO or video store or theater. 
and they didn't know they don't know the difference of that it wasn't a giant thing mm -hmm. and they don't know that it wasn't a box office success and why it would disappear and then they see it again um but and then that's why they're they're they don't understand how someone else that they know didn't how have you not seen this you're like it's either it used to be like 50 50 like you either knew it and liked it or you've never heard of it and that's a you know we 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 covered a little of that and there's mm -hmm. some different reasons i think why that happened i don't think it uh, i don't think it was getting the theater for it to kind of get that neighborhood word of mouth because once that third day and those opening box office things were like oh well you know we contract for one more weekend and then, and then we get it out of here and then it was just gone and it's the type of movie that a la what happened with hbo and when you recorded on hbo and then you passed around the neighborhood or give it to your or had your friends come over to watch this movie and same thing with the video store uh it it needed it needed the kids it needed the kids more than a marketing campaign because obviously the marketing campaign didn't do its job the reviews didn't help no the the marketing campaign Paying was a little contradictory. It was also letting the movie. If you're if you were really young, you're not going to see this movie because it's way too dark, dangerous, and scary. And if you're a little older teenager, you're not going to go see it because it, it looks kids kidsy and campy because that's what I'm reading in the newspapers. And you know, I think that was an unfortunate you know bit of kind of diverging paths of influence. And I always joke, uh, and we I may have joked it like you know we were doing the other other podcast, but. Um, you know, the older kids, older teenagers weren't going to go see it. They went and saw The Lost Boys. The younger kids not going to see it because it, it had a PG-13 rating. The, the parents weren't going to go with them or buy them a ticket. And you had been scared out your pants, you know, back then at five or seven, eight years old. And so I, we had that little small, narrow, which we now know are tweens. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now it's a thing. Like they geared, you know, YA is huge, which mm -hmm. is awesome because – I think people clown YA novels and say, I was like, uh, you realize that means that 10, 11, 12, 13 are reading books. Like, this is a good thing. And uh, please read. And even if you're an adult and if all you read is YA, I'm okay with that. Just read, <laughs> just read stuff. And I always joke. It's like, had they known that was a thing and a studio marketing department understood that that was a niche audience, I, you know, I, I always joke that we made the first tween movie. Did we? I don't know. <laughs> It's like, honestly, one, if you had marketed and said, this is for you only, they would have been like, we're going. Mm -hmm. uh, and I always joke that had they nailed that, you know, we would have been, you know, just wrapped production on Monster Squad 11 Breaking Dawn, you know, by <laughs> so, so it, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things. But I also like the fact that it, it didn't pop and it didn't have the thing because we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it. And how awesome it is 30 something years later. And we damn sure wouldn't have made a documentary about how this movie failed. And then the fans are the only reason that it, that it, that it stuck around because it impacted and connected with them. Because, um, I mean, it's nice to be able to talk to, you know, a couple of people, you know, ahead of time that actually seen it. Cause you got the, you got to view the doc. Right. Yeah. And it, you know, and, and, and so, you know, I, I almost want to see, I want to hear your reaction and I want to ask you questions about it because it's not about, this doc isn't about me and it's not about us and it's really not about the Monster Squad. It's about the impact it had on fans and how that comes through of why something can connect and impact someone so deeply that it, they carry it with them 30 years and it means just as much of them today as it did to them back then. And it's the story of the fans. And I wanted to explain that. And that's what the doc is was really trying to do. And so I hope that sort of worked. 
<laughs> it absolutely did. I'm a I'm a huge fan of documentaries to begin with, and watching this, it's so different than any other film documentary that I've seen because you really break it down. So you include the writers and the director and the actors and then you go into behind the scenes, the making of the creatures, which is just fantastic. Being, you know, look looking, watching these interviews, Ugh. you know, people retelling how they went and designed these creature concepts and the costumes and all of the work that went into it and, you know, I, it was just it was just mind blowing and so delicious to watch at the same time. And, you know, seeing uh, the breakdown of of certain things and, you know, the way that they uh, design certain characters to be able to react certain ways. And then you get into, you know, the fact that they I, I liked the fact that you guys brought up that the film didn't do well at the box office. And you talked about the the way it was promoted and the billboards that were a little <laughs> the, the mummy, the, for the lack mummy of a better one? word yeah um oh, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll save that for <laughs> yeah let yeah, people watch, watch the watch favorite. the documentary <laughs> it's oh man oh yeah um you know and then i love the fact that this documentary really highlights the fans and the love that the fans have for this film and not only that the love that you guys have for the fans of this film i love it when i love a movie and i love a character and the the actor who portrayed that character also loves that character and loves the project and still believes in that project you know like i'm a i'm a huge fan of rocky horror and a couple of years ago i had the opportunity to meet tim curry the best moment of my life and he still talks poetically about Rocky Horror and he loves being Frankenfurter and he loves talking about Frankenfurter and it's like he never tires of hearing the same questions because he'll just keep it because it's you know as long as someone is still talking about it it's still there it's still relevant like you will forever live on you know, way past, you know, the time that you're gone from this earth, you will forever live on in this film because the fans keep talking about it. You're absolutely right. And that was really the main, always the main point of view that I wanted to express. How we did that I was trying to, you know, in, in, in most of what you say, how it worked, everything that we did, and we broke it down. Um, yes, that was all of what I what I wanted as the person that developed the idea for the document got it. But how we ended up working that out and breaking it down, that was really, you know, you got to give credit where credit is due. And, and, and most of that artistic endeavor and how it shaped itself and the story that got told is all with my man, Henry McComas. Um, who you can follow it at H Dilla on, on the socials. He was, you know, kind of the, the, the main guy's co-producer, you know, he and I co-wrote, you know, if you can write a doc, but you do. And he edited it, he color corrected it. He shot most everything along with Wes Caldwell and, and Aaron Kunkel and Shane Patterson and, and, and Esteban, you know, very small crew that had their hands on this movie. And Henry had, you know, the bulk of, of everything in his grasp. And as we shot this doc, we were editing and we, 
the story, the whole movie probably changed at least a half a dozen times, according to Henry, as he was editing it and, and we got more stuff and it would come in and something that was elemental from day one, you go in and see it and you're like, where's the thing? He's like, that's out. Like this, it's it, this has changed completely. It's we're going in another direction, and this works. And that thing's out. It doesn't. It doesn't work. And you're like, wow. I, I don't think we could have uh, nailed it any of what we put on paper and what we always strived for and what I stressed and what his great ideas were and how to come come about it. You know, he it was just a a, a great working partnership there. And I love that you mentioned those specific things of, you know, we have all those elements because it's not a, it is not a making of the Monster Squad documentary. It is not a where are they now document. Like, okay, I'm right here. Like we're talking, on, you know, on, <laughs> on the internet. It's like, I'm right here. We don't need to know where I am. Um, no one cares. Um, I mean, I think people do, but it's, that's not, I, I made a doc like that. Um, and it's, and it's not also, most importantly, we've seen a lot of the film slash nostalgic, you know, harken to even genre or pop culture kind of documentaries that are made of our favorite movies. Um, those seem to be directly fan service centric, right? Let's just let's hit these things. Let's get this and pull it out and bang and we're out. And some are good and some are not that good. Uh, but you like seeing the characters, you like hearing backstories and, 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 and anecdotes. And it's, and this isn't even that it's sort of, we touch on all of those, but like you were saying, it is through the eyes of the fans of this particular movie explaining through their stories or our adventures on the road or, you know, just seeing them on camera, explaining why something can affect someone. doesn't matter what your favorite film is, because the sort of we are another goal was that it's not just Monster Squad centric, that it can kind of relate to anything that impacted you and affected your some way shape or form and that's why we kind of open up the doc this isn't a spoiler but we open up the doc talking about people are talking about other movies mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's sort of intentional at the very beginning and then that gets you in the groove like oh yeah that's these are things that hit with me and i understand now we get and then it kind of dives into that over broader story about how films or cinema or tv or music or whatever can impact you as a, as a listener or a viewer or a fan and then it starts being told through the perspective perspective of Monster Squad fans, and then explains you know why this movie is only alive today because of of people like you. When I was watching this last night, there was you know, and we touched a little bit on this you know at, at you know off air at the very beginning when we first connected. Um, I went through so many emotions, and it was almost like watching everybody on screen was kind of like uh, a mirror for what I was feeling. Like, you know, I had this big stupid grin on my on my face the whole time, learning all this new stuff that I'd never known about, one of my favorite films of all time. And to see, like, you guys standing in front of these crowds at the Alamo, like, this genuine joy on your face, you know, like, meeting with these different fans and, like, you know, everybody is just reflecting happiness back and forth at each other. And then... You know, there are these, you know, you have a couple of emotional gut punches. Um, and I, I have no shame in saying that I shed quite a few tears while watching this, uh, especially when uh, Brent came up. Like, that one, that really hit hard. And it's like, normally I don't, I don't 
really connect with it's like oh you know that you know this this celebrity passed away and it's like all right well that's sad you know i really like their music or they were good in this movie um i don't think i have ever shed a tear about someone who whom i have never met uh passing away but to hear the story from those who were closest to him like that was it for me like that it broke my heart knowing what happened and it was just like it's like uh, you know and, and you're touching on like i wish he could have seen this like mm. the you know the conventions the people walking around in the stephen king rules shirt you know the uh you know the 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 cult following for lack of a better term i know there's a little bit of uh back and forth on what is or what isn't a cult film but to see all these different people from all over not just this country but other countries that you guys got to mm-hmm. interact with and it's like I think that would have been so great. Be- just seeing how you three acted and and reacted, uh, I think it would have been great. You know, and I definitely think that Horace was a character we could all relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wasn't you know a, a heavy kid in in when I was younger. When I was that age, I was you know super skinny, and you know I I got bullied all the time. So, like, I know where he is. And for him to shoot the gill man and then my name is Horace and cock the the gun at the bully, like, that's all of us Mm -hmm. were Horace in that moment. Yeah. And I think, I mean, look, it's just tragic across the board that he, you know, passed away so young. Um, But, you know, selfishly, I, you know, like we said, it's, it's, I almost feel selfish by saying I, what's the big tragedy is he doesn't get to experience this yeah. and even more. And that's just the worst. And then, you know, parallel to that is the fans don't get to meet their favorite character and look, okay. Obviously I'm the insufferable know-it-all leader of the squad. We got it. We know, right. Uh, Rudy is the badass and the cool kid. Everybody wants to be a Rudy. They're either probably a Sean. They're probably more a Patrick. And then most oftentimes they're like, I, I wanted to be Rudy. I even want to be shown, but I'm Horace. I'm Horace. Mm-hmm. I related with Horace. I can't imagine the, the, the gravity, like physical gravity, that the critical mass that would, that would, that would surround Brent at a screening or at a convention. Uh, it would, it would pale in comparison you know, everybody would appreciate that Sean and Rudy are there and everybody loves Phoebe. So I think she's included in there, too, because, look, she's the hero of the movie. She mm-hmm. saves the world. Yes. And uh, she's the only one along with Horace that has any guts. <laughs> you know, everybody else does their thing. But, you know, we, we all have our roles. But the fans would would have absolutely it, it would just been a critical mass imploded into like a singularity <laughs> you know, everywhere that if you'd got to go to something and. I wish we would have been able to experience that as an observer. And I wish the fans had gotten to actually see him instead of just, you know, reminisce or be remorseful that he's missing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can only feel that after the fact. Um, yeah. It's a loss. I heard in 97, like right after he he died, I was in college or 96, I was in college or working at my last college. And um, 
someone actually knew him, you know, and this is in the school in North Carolina. And um, I was like, you're, wait, what? That's, that's, that's not, but I didn't know the impact that would have, you know, wider impact that would have on the fan base, you know, years later that a lot of fans didn't know that he had died until, you know, more coverage had come out. But, you know, you mentioned, you know, it's, it, it is an, it's, it's an obvious emotional section in the documentary. Um, look, we, the title of the movie is his line. Mm-hmm. Um, a tribute to him? Probably. Uh, it's also the fact that if you're making a documentary about the impact and the legacy and the fandom of Monster Squad, it's the only title out there that, you know, that's the best title. It's the obvious line, right? And it just happens to be Brent's. And, and what's interesting is when you, you miss and then the Wolfman's got Nards, when you actually look at the, the, those two scenes, uh, Ashley Bank always says it, that Horace has the best character arc in the movie. And he does. That's a given. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's absolutely right. And, but when he does, like, I'm standing there and I instruct him to kick Wolfman. Like, I could have done it. He's not facing me. Like, why didn't I, why didn't my character do it? Because <laughs> it's better and funnier from Horace, Horace's point of view to do it. Mm-hmm. But when he does it, he hauls off and kicks Wolfman in the nards and then stands there because it's a payoff to a setup earlier when we were talking about Wolfman. Is he a guy? Why does he wear pants? Wolf you know, dork stuff like that right yeah because he has a wolf dork and um <laughs> just a great one and uh someone just called me wolf dork on twitter like two days ago i was like <laughs> thanks <laughs> like it was just straight it's like got mine ordered like i was a pre-order on the itunes i think it's like ordered mine wolf dork i'm like was that to me or about like i'll take it i'll take it but he stands there and delivers the lines like Wolfman's got nards, but it's it's done with amazement and wonderment. Like it should have been. And then it's just for a second. And then we're like, let's get out of here. But then at the end, it's not wonderment and it's not amazement and it's not naivete. It's my name. I'm now me. I have mm-hmm. I have made my full circle transition and I am the bad like I'm the guy. And boy, that that cockgun shotgun scene, you know, cocking it's, that, that's a that's a great delivery. Uh, it's great editing. Uh, it's it's a great camera shot by Bradford May. It's two different things that has that quick cut. And Fred just coming up with, you know, that concept. And um, that's kind of yeah, I, I won't say it because it sounds biased, but a lot of people say that's one of the most badass moments in in mm-hmm. in, in a lot of their favorite movies. Yeah, <laughs> that, you he... know, there's some there's some iconic stuff. And I think Horace has both of them. Yeah, because he, you know, talking about his arc, right before uh, you guys all go into the house, he has what might be my favorite line and my favorite delivery. And he's like, um, Sean, maybe we could be like Math Squad instead. You know, do math problems, stay home, <laughs> or Nature Squad. We could look at rocks, collect birds, not be dead. Like, <laughs> right. And then... Less than 60 seconds later, he's confronted by the Wolfman and takes him out. And he takes right. out Dracula. And, like, that's the other thing people, like, always kind of glow. It's like, oh, Wolfman's got nards. It's like, yeah. But then he saves Sean from Dracula. And when he's battling Gilman, the first thing he does, he doesn't try to run. He grabs the gun before begging EJ to let him into the store. He grabbed the gun first. Like, right. I love that. Well, you know, you, you hit on one of my favorite things that it's kind of missed a little bit because they think it's, it's a funny because they think it's actually like, you know, 
um, a not the fat kid, but a fat kid joke where he pulls out a piece of pizza that he keeps in his pocket. Had he not had a piece of pizza in his pocket, number one, but not known that there's garlic on it, he saves my character's life. Mm hmm. So if you look at more, there's a lot more beats in this movie that Horace is an absolute hero. I look at it, <laughs> you know, then just at the end when he kills Gilman, it's it's all over the place. And I mean, we all have our little bits, but I, I love the pizza thing because that's such a deep cut, mm. um, not not a deep dish cut. That's a bad pun, <laughs> but like you know, a deep cut of um, you know, uh, and it, it goes back to something that I always lament that we don't have in the shooting draft of the script and what's in the final product of the monster squad is we had a whole bunch more exposition and conversations and scenes where it really showed how smart these kids were about the shit that they like. Mm -hmm. And it happens to be, it's not just monster movies or TVs. It's not, you know, they don't have Freddy Krueger posters in their you know thing or, or jason Voorhees. they've got godzilla they've yeah. got vampire mm -hmm. circus they've got dracula stuff and wolfman stuff and frankenstein's which are all literature stuff so that means they're reading that stuff and know the lore and the fact and fiction behind you know what vampires can and can't do um and we miss a lot of it. we just go right into it but that little bit's like with the pizza you know kind of show that uh, I miss that 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 we don't have that a little bit because I thought that was really cool in the original drafts um, of the script because it really showed what these kids knew, and they weren't just you know like neighborhood scamps that are like going on a crazy adventures mm -hmm. um, you know that don't know what they're doing. <clears throat> you know, there's other movies like that, and ours wasn't like that, and I, I think that's because of character and story, and um, I dig that about it. Yeah, I, I absolutely like the first couple of times I watched it because I was you know very young. I was like, oh, you know, fat kid has the pizza. Oh, ha ha. You know, and then as I'm getting older and, you know, I'm watching this more uh, objectively, I'm like, he planned that. Like, he could have eaten that pizza at school. You know, Eugene's got snacks. Eugene had a Twinkie. But, right. like, he brought the pizza with the garlic knowing that they were going to confront a vampire. Like, perhaps, absolutely. Perhaps, like, that's a. That super even deeper than you know than average and that that's what's cool about these kids i think um and, and you know and i think that's what's interesting when you know people are watching the documentary that they touch on a little bit of that about how they connect or relate to those characters but then really get into you know we could have we could have a whole other 90 minute documentary about exactly that we could sit down and talk to you know 20 people and they would go granular on stuff like that and mm -hmm. that would be amazing maybe we get to do that or you know maybe that becomes like a talk show or something but it's uh that's what's fascinating about the depth of everything um that happened in the monster squad which led to the kind of frustrating history of the movie that it died fred decker makes another movie right after that and goes into director jail for 30 years <laughs> and luckily Shane Black you know when you're the director it's your head on the block mm -hmm. Shane Black wrote you know you know co-wrote the movie Monster Squad but you know because he had a movie called Lethal Weapon that came out and you know that launched him and it, it was you know it, it, that's almost really unfair that box office is the only barometer at the time mm. now it's a little different because we have different stuff right and technology and streaming and and VOD which is hopefully you know where 
I, I would love that theaters are open and have a and have a release to go around and watch the documentary in theaters because we had a great festival run, and then I did an Alamo Drafthouse run where we did twenty one showings in a run in twenty days or something, and to watch the documentary in a theater full of people that's that's what it was made to do. Mm-hmm. Can you watch it VOD and on your own? Absolutely, it plays that way too. I'm not poo pooing that at all, but it you know it, it takes because we open up the dock with people sitting in a the theater and the lights going down that that bright light comes from the back of back of the room and we all know that feeling and we all go back into that and then we watch this movie and then it comes out and we we re, we 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 the only shots that are replayed in the, in the documentary are those two little cuts of sitting down the person in the glasses watching the screen and the and the and the, the projector starting and you know that means something to me i would love the fact to, for us to be able to go and watch this documentary with groups of people because I love to interact with the fans anyway, mm-hmm. but to watch them interact about the documentary and what it means to them, that's why we, that's why we made the doc. And I get to, I'm missing that a little bit right now. Uh, but hopefully when all this, you know, craziness is over, you know, it'll, it'll still be, you know, worth maybe a special screening or something and the fans can go out. So, you know, maybe in the summer or something like that, we get to go around and, and sit in the room in, in a theater again, uh, which would be awesome. Um, and like I said, I'm not I'm not poo-pooing the, the the shutting down. I am poo-pooing the shutting down of theaters. You know, it's unfortunate, uh, but it's for a reason. And hopefully, we get to come out of that. Um, but I, I think I think people, the fans, and even non-fans, people that have never seen Monster Squad, uh, can watch this documentary and connect and relate to something that they do love. Uh, we had a, a long festival run, which was awesome. We had about six and a half months, and the, the doc went all over the world. You know, won a handful of awards, which is awesome. Uh, but it was really about that impact and watching people come out of those theaters at festivals and what they say to you. And that's what makes, that's what makes it worth it. And I think them being a Blu-ray connect, you know, collect it, put it on the shelf next to all the other monster squad stuff. I think that's going to have an impact. And I look forward to, you know, hearing, you know, what they say, uh, cause we already had a pretty good kind of start, but this is the real deal. You know, this is like the actual release in us and canada and much to the chagrin of our uk fans because they don't get it quite yet telling me right now and i was like i'm tr- we're trying to get it to you um <laughs> and i i just love the fact that it has that impact and we get to talk about another level of 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 that connection and 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 fan base of the monster squad in another context because now it's pulling something out of the individuals and not just you know reminiscing about their favorite movie so as uh re-watching it today you know i was you know, looking at some of my favorite lines and, and, you know, thinking about the, the doc and because the doc, you know, at the end of it, you know, again, like it ended and, you know, it brought back all these memories of me being a kid and, and, you know, thinking that like, you know what, like these are guys that I would have hung out with at that age. Like that's, you know, I would have been the, the outcast type kid. Like you guys would have been my friends back in the day. And I was thinking, it's like, all right, so we've got, you know, this resurgence in popularity. Although, like, again, from my point of view, like, the popularities are always been there. Like, it, it never waned. But we have this resurgence in popularity. What would you say of, like, a Bill and Ted 3-style sequel to the Monster Squad, where you guys are all grown up, you've got kids of your own, something crazy starts to happen and you got to bring, you got to put the band back together. 
uh, well, that's that's exactly what it would be, right? And I think how you do that is what makes or breaks it. Um, re remaking the movie or rebooting it with new stuff, I, I don't think it works because no. you just can't make the same movie. And in 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 when we do that movie with kids fighting a group of, but call it something else and don't make it connected, and you'll be fine. Um, and that's not just being selfish or anything. I just don't think it would work. And um, but you know the sequel, like you were saying. Yes, if the story serves the fans, the original fans, and also serves the original film that we have, uh, there's a lot of tie-ins, a lot of a lot of prior history to our story that can be talked about or utilized. Um, payoffs that we didn't get the setup to in, in the Monster Squad that we can utilize, and setups that we didn't that we didn't know were setups because we didn't get the payoff can be utilized. And then, of course, the continuing story, you know, and it's obviously um, if you're smart, you do, you know, it's a passing of the torch type thing mm -hmm. um, because there's so much story and lore and monster lore, classic monster movie sequel things that you could do modern day, but harken back, which is what Monster Squad was. You know, the concept of Monster Squad was about as classic TV and movie as you can get because it was Fred Decker's thought of what would it look like if the little rascals fought the Universal Monsters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that That's how the Monster Squad started, apparently. You know, out of this awesome thought from Fred's mind. And then what does that look like? Like the Monster Squad. Uh, and so I, I think what's, what would be great about a sequel uh, and, you know, uh, there, there is a really cool sequel story that has been written on someone's laptop um, that services exactly what I think should be out there. But of course, I'm biased in this point of view. Um, it, it works. It's modern. It's current. It's got some tongue-in-cheek fun um, and some calling out, you know, of current day kind of absurdity. But it, it gets real and it's about the characters and it's a it's about another generation but it's also rad because it plays off of the old school classic monster movie sequels mm -hmm. and who those characters are and what the monsters are and what it would be um it, you know it, it's everybody's looked at you know rebooting it or remaking it some people have looked at you know figuring out a continuing story or whether it's an animated series or a series series or uh, a straight sequel feature or a comic book or, or you know whatnot it's always been a rights issue uh, of what's out there of, of who actually owns the rights to make something happen um a lot of people may not know that for years they were remaking the movie uh rob cohen and michael bay were developing that and making that happen um it ended up not happening um much to the joy of most of the fans because they just want to know not that those are terrible filmmakers or they don't like michael bay like look michael bay's movies make a billion dollars you shouldn't yeah. poo -poo michael bay that much you know when it comes down it's called the movie business mm -hmm. and uh he makes movies that make money and um some are okay and um but they didn't want that because it's not about that. It's that they just didn't want someone touching their movie. Like they just leave it alone. It's ours. Leave it alone. It's ours. Now, if the original, like if Fred and Shane were going to touch it again and do something, I think people would respond favorably, oh, yeah. um, you know, no matter what. And if the story was right, it could be kind of rad. Like I said, there's, um, I, I think there's a story. Most of it's kind of framed out and written on um, 
actually the laptop I'm looking at right now. Um, <laughs> and just because, you know, I started dinking around with like a really cool opening sequence to a sequel a long time ago. And I thought it'd be a great short film. And it's about a five minute, maybe a four and a half minute short that I, I wanted to make just as sort of like a cool thing. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe I still will, who knows? <laughs> Uh, but and then it turned into the opening sequence of what a sequel could be. And, and okay, then what does that mean? Who, what happens after this? Cause it's, it's, it's pretty rad. And um, where does that go? What are the characters doing and who are they? And are they still together? Are they not together? You know, like what, like getting the band back together, what, what brings them together? Why? And just wove, you know, some really, really, you know, really fun stuff. And, you know, I, we were traveling so much with, with Ryan and Ashley a lot. And I was kind of jotting down these notes and they were like, dude, that is awesome. And I even took it to like some, a handful of friends of mine that are close friends, but are also giant monster squad fans. And, um, I don't just pitch the story. I actually like, I was like, this is a cool story. I think would make a cool film. And it takes about 30 minutes <laughs> to like go through the whole thing. Cause it's almost like, it's not as, act by act it's a, some almost scene by scene and then, then i've dropped in some more stuff and they are people are like that i i would see that five times today if if that was out i'm like see i think it's a cool story so someone needs to do it um and who knows you know maybe something like the catalyst of the you know the documentary or you know get those juices flowing or not that has to be my story i just i just think you know i've I, i've batted with different people and um you know I just think there's something there that the fans would actually dig, but you have to do it for them. Mm-hmm. You have to do, if you touch this movie, you can't worry about that, that, that normal studio mindset of what's the widest audience and what do we have? Oh, we do we, uh, what do we need? We need, we need Kanye in here. Okay. We need Kanye West in this movie to get the wide, which has nothing to do with the money, but they're like, this is like, to, we need to like, we need the widest audience. So let's just make that decision. Like you, you got to make it for you guys only. I honestly think that if you were to have something finalized, you're like, yep, you know, it's like me and Ryan and Ashley, uh, we, you know, we have this thing, um, we know what we're going to do, we're going to put it on, you know, Indiegogo or Kickstarter, it would be funded within it. Like, I don't care how much you, you, you put your goal at, it would be... I don't know, like the story that I, the story that, you know, is kind of jotted down, it's it's not a small it's not but it's also not a giant budget because you got to make movies for today but i don't disagree with you um you know i know it's not my story to tell it's fred and shane's uh you know when they were making the predator there was some interest and they went over and like i said it's it's a rights thing it's who holds stuff now um apparently there's a weird thing that you know that actually who has the rights right now do they actually have like no one it's always been a rights issue with this movie that's why it's sort of like lost for a while and, um, you know, hopefully in the next year or so, that'll maybe get smoothed out or figured out. And uh, maybe we get to play with ideas like that, which um, I, I still want to do. Like, I mean, it's not like I can't scroll through my phone and hit 75 awesome filmmakers that are friends of mine and <laughs> right. go out and make that short just as a little mm-hmm. tease. I think if I made that short and I made it right, um, just the opening sequence of what I thought would be a cool opening, you know, cold open to a movie, uh, that would get some views. You know, at least from the fans, right? I mean, that's how Deadpool and, got um, made. That would be, yeah, that'd be pretty bitching. And um, you know, you know, maybe I've just been, you know, maybe we should have already done it. But you know, it's it's not it's not my thing. It's not I don't own that. It's not my thing. And I I'd I feel weird about doing it 
you know, independently on my own and, and doing that. I'd want everybody to, you know, to be supportive of it and, and, and backing it. Um, and, you know, that, but something like the documentary is different because it's a perspective. And, you know, like we were saying, it was very important with me and my man, Henry McComas, that it wasn't about us and it wasn't about that, you know, it was about the fans. And I try to make it not, I, I'm in it way too much. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm in this documentary way too much. And Henry's, and so I'm like, take me out of me out of there. Like, don't, I don't need to be heard right there. Like the, the point's already been made. And then Henry had to take me aside a couple times. Be like, dude, you're the leader of the monster squad. And this doc is about the, mm-hmm. like, you're like, you have to be in this part. <laughs> like, I can't take you out of everything. <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was sort of an itchy, you know, when you talk about a sequel or, or a reboot, everyone's like, what if they remade the movie? Would you be in it? And I'm like, I, okay first of all someone has to actually remake it and then someone has to ask you <laughs> to actually be in it it's not like a given and um i i just don't know i wouldn't want someone to touch it like i said I'll, you know i'll wrap up that cut topic like i don't for the original fans leave it at that you'll get a wider audience because of that mm-hmm. um but you service them and that's important and if the right people were doing it then it could be rad yeah, I I'm with you. I don't I don't want to see a, a remake or a reboot. Like there's certain things that don't need to be touched, but a continuation of the story, I'm all for. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think there's so much continuation to do. You know, unanswered questions. I love the fa- my my favorite thing about the story of Monster Squad is, uh, you know, we don't get why they blew like how did they blow it? You know, in the hundred years ago in the opening crawl, mm-hmm. well, they did it because you know they actually stake. Dracula and killed when he got loose in 1887. You know, he was walking around from 1887 waiting for Limbo to be balanced again or waiting for the forces to be balanced again where you can track down the amulet and destroy it and take over. So that's why he's so pissed. That's Dracula in this movie, mm-hmm. I think. Because he's been waiting and he's like, you know what? I don't have time for this. I'm not <laughs> waiting another hundred years. I'm going to go blow them up. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think people a lot of things like he's been walking around for a hundred years because we didn't we don't really get that spoon fed to us in, in, in the original. Uh, but I like what what was Dracula doing during like dynamite? And I was like, well, look that bag is like ancient. I was like, I like to pretend that Dracula stole that bag of dynamite as he was walking around Central America when they were building the Panama Canal, and he took it. So he just had like dynamite with him for like eighty five <laughs> years or something. It's like, I love that. Like that's that's a great backstory for the dynamite. <laughs> and um, that's what I mean. It's like what what has been happening with all this dynamite? Or like you know he's you know they're they're excavating like Mount Rushmore or something. And like he's like, what are you doing? Like, this is stupid. But I'll take the dynamite. <laughs> it's like you know he's on you know he's on a treasure hunt, um, which is which is always funny. He does have the. Uh... Second, second best line in the Future movie. Stories, but because uh, he's looking, I, I I know which one it is. But uh... meeting adjourned. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's after he just blew up like six little kids, right? Um, and a dog. Um, Please, that's is what he thought. But Ash, just tell tell me, like watching the doc, you know, as we've got a. a, a you know, we'll talk a few minutes left, how it impacted you. Like I said, I'm going to turn this around on you guys because you actually got to see it. In the impact of watching the doc from your perspective of not seeing it as a kid, but understanding stuff that you do like, 
Mm-hmm. And so I really liked the breakdown of the documentary. I liked, I mean, you, there are some fantastic interviews from some really amazing people, you know, Seth Green, Adam Green, no relation, I don't think, uh, you, know, um, you know, and a plethora of other people, I don't want to spoil anything, uh, that are just, you know, fantastic interviews and talk, seeing them talk about how this movie impacted them as a child and still impacts them today, knowing how this film impacts, you know, Patrick, you know, how, how it impacted him as a child and how it still impacts him today. You know, listening to all of these stories from these fans who, you know, grew up with this film, you know, how, you know, it's, it's something that followed them, you know. So even though The Monster Squad wasn't that film for me as a kid because I didn't see it, I do have that film. I do have those films films that you know impacted me as a child that still you know I carry them with that uh, with me today and I really liked the way that you know you concentrated on everyone's stories so you know the Fred Decker and Shane Black getting to you know hear from them I personally loved the art department, you know, mm. um, interviews with Tom the Woodruff. people, yeah, you know, with the people who, got, who created these monsters and kind of getting a peek behind the scenes as to what went into making these creatures and the practical effects and the, you know, trials and tribulations of trying to make certain suits fit certain people. I really loved the whole Gilman conversation, you know, how, um, he was pretty much poured into this suit and, you know, listening to the actor's stories of playing these different creatures and having to wear these suits and emote and everything, you know, being a, a fan of film just in general, I like hearing stories like that, you know, kind of a, a peek behind the curtain, so to speak. Um, and then just seeing the fans' reactions. When somebody loves something so much, it can be infectious. It can make you want to love it too. So when fans are, you know, waxing poetically about a film, about how much they love something, and then seeing you guys, the actors, on screen telling your stories and interacting with the fans, I love that so much. I love seeing actors who, you know, don't have that guard or don't. Don't, uh, I'll say, aren't too full of themselves, for lack of better terms, to, you know, get down on the level of the fans and be with them, speak with them. So not, you're not just, you're not talking at them, you're speaking with them. And there's a, there's a difference between the two. I liked how the documentary also got different uh, film professors involved and showed you speaking at different universities, addressing these film students some of which who had you know had just seen monster squad for the first time and i thought that was such a fantastic film because mm-hmm. i you know i've i've taken some film courses you know in high school and in college just for just for fun and monster squad was never shown to me and it's like you know <laughs> of the films that i did see in that context monster squad would have been a perfect film mm-hmm. you know and is a perfect film to show students because it encompasses so many 
many different things, so many tropes, and you know, it's a great conversation piece. So I enjoy, and also I really enjoyed his reaction watching it. I kind of went on this emotional roller coaster with him, and you know, it it was. Uh, I found myself getting misty eyed at times. You know, just just kind of bouncing off of of his reactions, and I think the the peace day resistance of the documentary is at the end when you bring out no no okay. no no don't I I, <laughs> I I I no yeah I I, was I want to talk about I want to talk about that off off screen then because uh, I do have a question okay. about that I, oh, but, but it's okay. the the ending is so awesome I refer to it you as know. the surprise in the credits yeah that's okay. what i called it um it, it worked it worked out pretty good yeah uh, that was actually a, a a thing that i wanted to do and i will like i said i always try to give credit where credit is due that cut is all wes caldwell uh who was um one of our production guys on this and 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 sound guys and camera guys and he edited that little bit because uh as we went through the year we we did those little bits bits and he put it all together and it is absolutely my favorite part of the whole thing yeah even though Henry I had this wonderful you. beautiful movie <laughs> it really is my favorite you, part of it. you pulled it out and that that sounds so you pulled it out and he Whoa. gasped <laughs> Whoa, wolf dork what <laughs> we know he da, 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 da. i had Censored. the same reaction as adam green i'll say that because I don't, you can't, mm-hmm. I don't want, don't say anything I'm not, else. I'm not going to say anything else. I'm sorry. <laughs> see, now, see, this is this is a great dynamic. Like, someone who just saw the film recently, someone who yeah. grew up as a child, it's like, no, 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 do not say anything because it'll ruin <laughs> but it. I really, I really liked that. You know, it's just, just kind of like this surprise. You bring out this, this thing, this, can I say prop? I'm going to say prop. I, I mean, there, there are a lot of props in that film. So this stop item. talking about it. But, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, but, but you bring it out and just seeing people's genuine reactions, you know, of of yeah. excitement and awe and tears and just seeing like how much this thing being able to physically touch this thing that was a part of this film you know how much it just it means to people and everyone's and... reaction was exactly the same <laughs> <laughs> like just yeah I, I like that that's why the supercut works and west did a great job um you, you 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 touched on two things which i really liked is one about like film schools and and showing it and normally when you're in college or 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 even film school film school and, and you're taking film studies they show movies that were game changers or, you know, changed an industry or made an impact. And you know what? Honestly, I think Monster Squad probably should be shown in more film studies curriculum because it absolutely was a game changer on more than one department. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can't make films like this anymore. So that's an example of that. You, you can't have kids doing what we did. Um, you and especially on the effects, the, the practical and creature effects, I, it, it changed the industry. Because those guys were all in the same year were making movies like The Predator and Aliens and Monster Squad and all this stuff that literally changed the industry on on creature making and practical effects as they went along. And these guys are now the icons of the industry, and they should be. And that's why we wanted to celebrate them a little bit, because this movie helped change their lives and create who they are. And I think that's fascinating. And I think that story should be told. That's why we tell it in the doc. Um, you know, the... the 
and that was sort of the main, I, I loved that poll that you, you know, that you talked about ashes about the film school. And I, you know, it's not being selfish, but I think if you're a, a film studies professor or teacher, you might want to add that into the rotation just because it really did. It was at a certain time and the stories were certain and the effects were like it, it changed the game and in, in, in films that impacted things going forward. And I think that was a great thing that, that you saw in that as well. I also, so I, I appreciate you guys seeing the things that we were trying and attempting to do. And so that means some of them worked and that's always <laughs> nice to hear. Yeah, I definitely, uh, you know, cause we don't want to, Obviously, we don't want to spoil too much, but you know the story <laughs> of the Gilman suit. Uh, yeah, that that I thought was amazing. It's like, oh, where, what are we doing? Oh, that's what we're doing. Like, that's the worst thing to do with it right now. Why would we do that? Why is that the first scene? That's <laughs> yeah, a great uh, spot, right? I yeah. would also say it's a great bit. Like, no, don't. We just worked for like six months. Don't. No. What? Re uh, rewatching but... the film today. One of the things I appreciate more is uh you know going back to the the special effects the 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 sound design like the sounds that the gill man make like you know like it's like okay uh you guys all know how fish sound right uh what's <laughs> no <laughs> yeah no you're right there's and what it was is because this was a big budget studio film and you had really top-notch people working mm -hmm. on it including young guys all making the creatures. So they got excited about being able to do iterations of the things they grew up with. But then, like you said, you know, I, I think the editing's great in the movie. I think the sound design, I think the production design's actually pretty banging in this movie, um, especially like stuff like the treehouse and, and, and things like that. Oh, yeah. Um, it, you know, the interior of it, which I have <laughs> rebuilt twice, <laughs> you know, kind of at events I've rebuilt because we sourced because of Sean Robert and his list of everything in there. Uh, we actually sourced most of that posters and the artwork in there. And we rebuilt the treehouse twice at events uh, during filming the doc. And it was awesome. And, uh, but yeah, and sound design and sound mix, like it, it, it's, it's so top notch and good. And even the score is amazing. It's a Bruce Broughton score, which if you, if you know composers and films of the time, like Bruce Broughton stuff always has these kind of uplifting kind of wide airy, you know, he did the score for my favorite Western, which is Silverado. And when you watch Silverado, which was made like the year before, you're like, oh, there's a little Monster Squad tones in there. Mm -hmm. And it's like, those aren't Monster Squad tones. Those are Bruce Botton tones. Like, you know, it's his music. And yeah, so all those different departments, you know, all, you know, all, you know, came together. It wasn't like this little indie film where you're getting your cousin, you know, who has a synthesizer, you know, to score a movie. Like, they're all top notch people. And that's why they're good. And it, I think it all comes together. And I think people appreciate it more now, obviously, than they did in 87. Um, but you know what? That's pretty neat. Yeah, I, I also liked, you know, uh, I didn't realize that the Wolfman head was animatronic. Like, I had, I had no idea. Like, I, like, that's how well done it was. It was like, I thought that was just, you know, some dude in a suit, like, emoting but no, it's yeah, no, like the lips and the mouth and the eyes and the ears where they're all done on cables and, and, you know, hand, hand, you know, uh, modules by all the guys off to the side. Cause they're underneath the actor who was Carl Tybalt in the actual Wolfman suit. And, you know, look, I mean, even the, the, the creature effects and this, like that might be one of the better Wilworth transformations 
mm-hmm. on screen, you know, because it's a blend of new and old technology and old, I mean, it's, that's, it's pretty cool. And, um, you know, Duncan being a great Dracula. I mean, there's just so much in there that, that really, I think people always knew, but now they analyze it more and, you know, something like, you know, the documentary, you know, kind of lets people talk about that individual stuff a little bit more. And, uh, I, I appreciate you guys, you know, getting to see it ahead of time and talking about it because it makes a big difference. And Ash is the other thing that you may think is I in watching Pat, you said, I enjoyed watching Patrick watch this. Mm-hmm. And it, it really, that that's really what I want, you know, a lot of people to understand with the documentary and that that's on, that's a, that's a result that we're, we're pleased that it became on both, but it was actually a, a, a focus point. Um, you know 70 or 80 of you in a darkened room with the projector behind you and we'll get to that we'll all get to be able to do that eventually Mm -hmm. but even if it's just you two sitting on a couch or you're watching it you know with your buddy on you know a a skype call or something uh or you know you invite you know less than 10 and people over to your house next week don't watch stay socially distanced in your in your living room uh unless you all know each other and live together um you'll you'll get that vibe and everybody's all of a sudden they become connected and they watch each other watching the movie and uh there's some emotional beats like you mentioned that are obvious mm-hmm. and then what i love about it is every time we screen that someone comes up to me and tells me some part got them that we weren't expecting that part to get somebody mm-hmm. and that's that's where we knew we nailed it in 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 overall because everybody can pull something out of somewhere in this documentary and that's where they connect. And that's what I usually always ask. And, um, that's, it's been a fun ride on the, you know, I haven't seen anybody in, you know, a year and a half or good grief. It's been two years now in a theater that watched this because we had some delays with the distribution deal, but now it's getting out there. And I, and now I get to ask those questions again for people that have watched it. And, um, that's what I enjoy about it. So thanks for watching it and thanks for enjoying it. And uh, thanks for having me on the show. And like, let's not be the last time. If that's cool with you, I, oh, I love hanging out and talking uh, about stuff. I, I, I'm in the goddamn club, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that's one of my that's one of my top lines as well. Yeah, because that's Rudy. Where are you going? I'm in the goddamn club, aren't I? <laughs> it's I, uh, th- that's what's great about Monster Squad. You know, who would have known a movie that bombed has so many iconic things that you know now it's your it's your i'm having a shitty day creature stole my twinkie yeah uh that's just code um and you know things like uh wolfman's got nards like no no one knew it. i mean that's now a thing it's in songs um my name is horace and um you know people running around in their stephen king rule shirts you know uh you know that became a, a piece of film iconography that was just supposed to be a, a dorky thing that this kid wears that no one knew it was going to become something like that. And it, it's just fascinating. I will say probably my, the funniest part, you know, as we wrap this up, probably the funniest part of the, uh, the doc is when, uh, you talk, I forget who it was, but like, yeah. So the Goonies and then like your reaction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, that was, that was a little tidbit. That's with Sean Robert. It's near the end. Uh, Sean is, uh, probably one of the top, monster squad fans out there but he's also a really cool dude uh very supportive um awesome guy and i'm glad instead of i'm glad i don't just say sean that fan i now for the last couple years have said sean robert my pal sean like Mm -hmm. like we're 
pals. I, I, uh, and I, I mean, I hope like if I was in town, hopefully that still plays. And if, <laughs> if he was, you know, Mary knocked on the door, you know, he could, you know, stay the weekend and we go out to lunch and, you know, it'd be awesome. And so I'm glad I get to call people like that, you know, my friends now. And that's, what's interesting. Cause Ashes, you, you touched on a little bit also about, you know, normally people look down on fans and it's, it's actually always been at least on the level in less or unless opposite with me, because we don't exist. Mm-hmm. These things don't exist. Films or celebrities or, you know, characters you like, or we don't get to do podcasts or like these don't exist. I have nothing to do. That means if there aren't fans. So I don't know why people don't understand and appreciate the fact or ever look down or, 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 you know, kind of belittle a fan, not that people should, but it happens. Like they don't consider them the fact that you're the, they're the only reason you're doing what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. What would you be doing actor X if there was no fans that gave a shit about what you do? Exactly. What would you be doing? And they can't answer. They don't know. Selling insurance. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Selling, I don't know. Selling something. Um, you know, I don't know. That's why I was, I've just always really, I've grown to really, really appreciate the fact that there's this fan base that gets to talk about something that I, I don't mind talking about because I'd rather be part of something. I'd rather be part of a movie that didn't do well in 87, that there's more people today than there would have been in 87 and be able to talk about it now. I, I, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd trade that. And I think that's, you know, and I will say, uh, all right, this is the last thing, you know, speaking on what you were just saying, you know, talking about, you know, where would I be without the fans? Uh, one of the, uh, the folks in the doc, Adam Green, we've had the chance to meet a few times at a convention because he's, he's a local guy. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen his show Holliston, but mm-hmm. when I was 18, I worked in the, in the Cumberland Farms where they hang out, like, in real life, like, in Holliston. Very um, cool. Yeah. And he's that's how he is. Like mm-hmm. the first time we saw him at a con, um, which, you know, should be going on this weekend and a lot of us are having withdrawal, um mm-hmm. he had a sign that says, I don't charge for pictures or autographs because I love you. And he signed a bunch of stuff for us, he took pictures, he did a a, a promo for the show one time. Like it's just awesome. Yeah. Like no, Adam's great. And, you know, I've been in, you know, Ari's, like his spot, you know, which is cool. We get to hang out. And in fact, like I was just on, uh, I did Movie Crypt with Adam and mm-hmm. Joe. Just kind of dropped, like that's, they're on Patreon now because they left the other network. Um, but that, that episode just dropped like uh, t- yesterday or the other day. And so I love those guys. You know, Joe and Adam are, that's what, you know, they're all, they're, they're fans of awesome films that get to go make awesome films. So they're like the mm-hmm. best of both worlds. Right. And they're just, just cool dudes. Uh, uh, I think he's back now, but a couple weeks ago he was leaving to go to Atlanta to, you know, direct an episode of creep show, you know, and you know, these are cool guys that we get to hang out with and, and call friends and we're um, all just part of the same, same issues. kind of world. Did the tie fighter crack?
Okay. Uh, my speaker just, uh, my, my TIE fighter just stopped working. You, your, your TIE fighter crashed. Yes, yes. it just yes. crashed. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> All right. So now we're, we're, we're good now. It got, good. It, it, it got clipped by uh, the other one and spun out of control. Yeah. But um, Vader's okay, though. So. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm such a dork. Um, great movie, though. Love the trench yeah. scene in the original. It's fantastic. Uh, I can't shake him. Um, anyway, um, where, where did where did we leave off? No, I was just saying, you know, Adam and Joe, those are great guys, and I, I'm glad they're a part of the doc because uh, they're a part of you know all kind of like small big world, and um, yeah, that's what it's really all about. You know, there's a there was mm-hmm. there's there's a ton of big names out there, you know, that that are big Monster Squad fans that we didn't get for the doc, but uh, you know, maybe we'll get them later for other stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, that's what's neat about it. I mean, it it doesn't matter who you are or where you are are like when you talk about monster squad like everybody kind of comes down to the same kind of street level or treehouse level and uh you know they, they all just get to hang out and um that, that's what's really cool about the dynamic and that's really the essence of what the film the documentary film was about and um yeah as soon as it releases we'll come back and like as more people have seen it hopefully many more like they watch it when it only seventh vod or if you ordered your blu-ray on amazon um you know, follow me at my socials at Andre Gower at Andre Gower official, and please follow at the squad doc. Uh, Cause that's where you get a lot of information. Um, uh, you know, celebrate, you know, Pilgrim media group, my studio partner with that and, and Gravitas ventures. Who's the distributor, you know, VOD where the platform that you prefer, if not just go to iTunes or Amazon. And um, I, I'd love to hear what all your listeners think if they get the chance to, to rent or either download or purchase the doc and, let, let's get a whole, you know, group of those people to, you know, give their feedback and we'll come back and we'll talk about I think, it after uh, people get to see it. I, I think that would be a, a hell of a fun uh, live event mm. that we could do with a whole bunch of these these horror folks who love the Monster Squad. Uh, if you're down for it, we can absolutely make that happen. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, everybody can either, you know, watch it together. They watch it on their own. Then we'll set up. And we'll all just hang out and we'll talk about it and we'll get their stories. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that uh, probably next week or after, you know, the release date, uh, I'm going to start doing a call out for, uh, you know, you guys can do it or, you know, fans on on the Instagram and the, you know, just send me your squad story. Like talk for about 30 seconds or, you know, 45 seconds about what, you know, why you like it, what it means to you and just send it to me. And I'm going to I'm going to post it and I'm going to, I'm going to forward it. Cause I want those squad stories because that just, it, it makes the doc even longer now, you know, it's like, yeah. you want your story in there as well, if you're not on camera. So, <clears throat> and like I said, it, that's really the focus. It's about, it's about fans. It's about you guys and it's about coming back and hanging out. So please come up with a rad idea and, 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 you know, shoot me a text or something and uh, we'll set it up because, you know, I want, I want to talk with more people about, you know, after they've watched this doc and, um, you know, that's why I asked you, like, what you pulled out of it instead of me, always me being asked the mm-hmm. questions. That's the guest of shows. I like to turn it around on people, and no, I uh, love that. you know, we'll go from there. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. I hope everybody enjoys it. Wolfman's got Nards. You know, check it out. Um, There'll be links in the and, show and just notes. please let me know what you think about it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, well, thank you so much. All right, and uh, we'll be uh, we'll be right back. Greetings! We are the Retro Reductopus Cephala Podcast, a bi-weekly show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. He's right. 
we wax philosophic about lots of geeky crap like old video games and movies, toys, cartoons, I don't know, help me out here. Music, pants, quoting video games that don't have dialogues, shabibans, tasty news, unnecessarily long Japanese onomatopoeia, butt breathers, uncomfortable nature facts, or how to install a samoplange. And unlike all those other podcasts, we at Retroidocubus have an exciting rotating host schedule. Do we? We sure do. So, if you didn't like the guy flapping his gums this week, like me, worry not, gentle listener. Next week, we'll have a whole new host. Of problems. Hey, they might still suck, but they'll suck differently. And you know what's really cool? Retroidocubus is part of the Dorkening and Inebriar podcast networks with new episodes every Tentacle Tuesday. Which is like every other Tuesday. We named it. Anyways, you can listen to us at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or any podcast player cool enough to carry the only show that celebrates all things that make growing up awesome. you enjoyed that uh interview uh i really did like this was one of the coolest things and uh yeah we are definitely going to have uh andre back um i'd like to get him on the sports show as well because i think it would be cool for uh, uh my brothers to chat with him especially where uh, our niece uh emma emma extreme just watched the movie for the first time over the weekend so uh very exciting um i, I think she wasn't scared that's what Dan said. She wasn't scared. But, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's going to be pretty cool. Uh, I can't wait for everybody well, to I mean, see the doc. I mean, kids today are a lot more difficult to scare. Well, I mean, I think Dan may have put it into context for her and let her know what was coming. And, like, for mm-hmm. us, we had the, the making of Thriller, like I was saying. So we knew about all the monster effects and the makeup and, and, and whatnot. Um, 
for Emma, I think the closest thing she's come is uh, Vampirella. Not oh, Vampirella. The- Vampirina. Vampirina. Vampirella, very different. <laughs> yeah. Very. Di- Dan might <laughs> might enjoy that a tad more. Uh, but no, uh, yes, very different Vampirella and Vampirina. Um, but yeah, like it's it's uh, it's a nice movie. It's fun, but there are absolutely some terrifying images. And uh, we, of course, just in case you were wondering, we did play the uh, we did play the uh, um, trailer for both the documentary and the the Monster Squad film. And uh, I hope you like the closing music this week because uh, I, I'm very happy with it. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's awesome. Like this was so cool. Um, Andre is just such a nice guy. Uh, he stood. He stood by even during the uh, Tie Fighter crash, which uh, you know, un- unfortunately, that that does happen. That's that showbiz kid. Yeah, that that does happen occasionally, but uh, yeah, make sure you pick up the doc. It comes out on Tuesday, the twenty seventh. Uh, I already pre-ordered mine because uh, I I can't wait. I believe yeah, it's going to be available on VO. It's going to be VOD, VOD, uh, Vudu, Amazon. I ordered my physical copy because as we saw for the first time in 55 years, there were no Charlie Brown uh, holiday specials, no Great Pumpkin, no Thanksgiving, no Christmas, nothing. Oh, I I just knew of Great Pumpkin. No, they said no holiday specials for the first time in 55 years. So I, I, and I was looking, these things are going for over $100 now. It, It pays to have physical media yep yep because you never know what's going to happen yeah absolutely it's uh it's another reason why uh, i think i'm gonna probably invest in the uh the other uh christmas classics you know because we're not big christmas people but you know i do enjoy a rudolph i do enjoy you know frosty and all that so the year without a santa claus i mean they have the the blu-rays and the dvd collections that you can get so i think that's something to uh, invest in and again like there's that meme that's going around you know of the little girl not the little girl but the woman on the on you know holding a remote and the caption says oh halloween isn't on netflix underneath is the laughing leonardo dicaprio holding the halloween blu-ray <laughs> it's like yeah physical media is where it's at kids mm-hmm. Physical media. I know it takes up a lot of space, but fuck it. Like, I don't care. But, I mean, like, a Blu-ray, a DVD, does it really take up that much space? When you have tons of I mean, when, you have, of when them, you have hundreds yes. of them, yes. But, but in, in Ask theory, me about the time my entire theory. armoire had 632 DVDs, and I still had more left over and didn't know where to put them. Well, we uh, like stuff. Yeah, well, you know, it'll 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 look nicer once we have a house and we can display all of this stuff. But I am a I'm I'm we've already gone on so long today. We have battle results. We do Ashes, have battle what do we got? results. So last week we threw down Crazy Captivity Carnival, asking who would you least like to be captured by, Aka. Who do you think you have the least odds of escaping? And you could choose from Hannibal Lecter, mm-hmm. who we spoke about last week, John Kramer from Saw, The Joker, or The Collector from The Collector. Collecting and The Collection. Now, I will say that there are small odds against every one of them because every one of them 
did have someone escape because they do get uh, captured or defeated in some way. It happens. Um, I personally voted for the collector. That's the because some of the things that he's done, like there. Oh, you have to watch those movies because I think, especially the second one, how the guy gets out of the cage. Oh. Ah, oh, yes, I am feeling pain just thinking about it. So, the winner is a tie. Ooh. It is a tie between Hannibal Lecter and John Kramer. That would be a good head-to-head matchup. Um, Both in their primes, I think Hannibal takes it. I chose John Kramer. See, because those saw traps, I, I know you're technically supposed to be able to get out of them, but I'm a wuss when it comes to pain. That's untrue. And you're one of the toughest people I know. Oh, that's really nice. It's that's true. A, that's a nice thing to say. <laughs> uh, um, I think you would you would survive. Like if it was like two people. I mean, like I I, I could easily kill someone else for my own. No, I'm thinking like even like the uh, uh, saw of the one. Yeah, that one where the lady had to cut off her arm. Like I think you could do that. I think that I think that was Saw Five. It's five or I mean, six. If I, don't I remember. Uh, I mean, I guess like if adrenaline were to take over. I mean, adrenaline's an amazing thing. I do think certain ones I would like cutting my eye out. But that's the thing. you like, couldn't, like, do, the, that. I, I could that not, you couldn't oh, do that. I could not do that. You have a thing with eyeballs. I like can't I do, do too. The eye thing. I I refuse to wear contacts, and I can't even put like medication in my eye because I can't have anything near my eye. I can't do it. Um, you won't even let me put eyeliner on you. I know. I can't. I can't do it. It it sucks. Like I I can't have anything near my eyes. I don't know what it is. But uh, but I yeah. thought because you know for me I feel like the Joker and I might get along a little bit. See the Joker, it's like we, a would, fi- we would humor each other. To me, the Joker, you have the best odds. Like it's fifty fifty. Yeah. Because of how like mercurial well, de- he is. Yeah, it really uh, depends on his mood that day. Yeah, like you know he uh, there's a uh, when he met Spider Man in the the crossover in the late nineties. You know, Spider-Man was talking to him. He's like, "What are you doing?" He goes, "Oh, I was looking at this building. I, you know, my, maybe I'll just blow it up." But fireworks are so abysmally dull in the rain. And he's like, "Oh, I could just kill the weatherman. Actually, that might not be a bad idea." So he goes from blowing up a building with people in it to just killing the weatherman because he didn't know it was going to rain. And like that was that was that was kind of that's like how he almost is. Almost like super villain ADD. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. And I didn't choose Hannibal Lecter because I feel that Hannibal and I would have some great conversations. Yeah, I don't think we... I feel that Hannibal Lecter would like my companionship. Well, He he would like my company. We, uh, you know... We're the type of people who would be respectful to him anyway, so we wouldn't end up on the the block. You know, as long as you, you don't... Collector don't give a fuck. See, John, I, cou- I couldn't choose the collector because I you I'm haven't seen unfamiliar. it. Right. See, I chose the collector because like that shit. Uh, of them all, like he has the least morals. Um, Kramer, at least, you know, he'll put you in a trap that you have the option of getting out of because he's trying to rehabilitate you. Hannibal prefers to eat the free range rude. <laughs> uh, the Joker 
there's a comic panel where he gets pissed off because someone accused him of like white supremacy or something, and he got pissed that someone would dare refer to him as a Nazi. Like, you know, Nazis, pedophiles, like that's below the Joker. The the uh, the 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 collector uh, in the first movie, uh, one of the traps uh, ends up killing a cat. And none of the other guys do that. Uh, yeah, oh, it pissed me off. I did not like that at all. I don't care what happens to the people as long as the animals are okay. Yeah, I don't, yeah. That, that's that's kind of, that, that's my thing. Yeah, yeah, I don't care what happens. Like, as isn't there a website, like... Does the dog die? Yeah, Or something like that. You know, did the dog die? It's it's one of those, um, one of those two. But yeah, yeah, uh, so... That would that's my vote and that's why. So what are we talking about next week? Next week I'm very excited, uh, because we're gonna be getting to rewatch a film we haven't seen in a while. Um Another animated horror film. Yes, this one uh this this animation is stop motion. We are gonna be watching Coraline, which Coraline. we have not seen in a while. We do have that super special Blu ray set that doesn't fit in any fucking shelf that we have it's like four inches thick and like it's it's like all kinds of extra stuff in it so um i like it i think it's cool you liked it didn't we see that in the theater um no i know because that came out when before did that come out? I think, hold on, I will... I I'm will trying to remember, because we saw so many of these in the theater, and I don't remember when each one of them came out. And I know we've watched all of these together. Well, once upon a time, it kind of became a thing for us on Halloween to go to the movies. Yes. So we saw uh, we saw Frank and Weenie on Halloween. Yep. We saw Jigsaw. I know that's not animated, but we saw Jigsaw on Halloween. We saw <laughs> a couple of other things on Halloween. Um, let me say Coraline, not Caroline. Sweet Coraline. Bah, bah, bah. Oh, that might be the episode title. Yeah. <laughs> so it came out in 2009. It might have come out before because we also. I think it came out earlier in the year. Because we also wanted to see, we would have seen Nine, which we did like. I remember we we bought that. We enjoyed Nine. Mm. Uh, the little sack people. Like Little Big Planet movie with Elijah Wood, uh, and it's not really the Little Big Planet. Whatever you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember us watching. It looks it. like it, it came out in February, February, February of 2009. So 12,000 years ago. Um, yeah, the cat. I don't know if you guys hear any of that, but the cat is howling because <laughs> Ash just took her attention. seat. No, Ash just took her seat. She's been laying on sorry. a pillow on the seat where I'm Ash's so sorry, is currently kitty. sitting. I stole There's your spot. a huge, nice recliner where she's she like had Sheldon been. Cooper. Yeah, she's like you you're in my spot. spot. <laughs> Last night, if you guys uh, tomorrow, we're um, we're doing a new thing with the loudest sports show, Hi. where we're recording video. Um, so there'll be audio and video. At some point, we might do it for this show, but uh, uh, for special things, we will. But there'll be audio and video, so you can choose to listen to the podcast you know, through Spotify and whatnot. Or you can watch the video on the Throwdown Thursday podcast YouTube channel. 
And now she has Bobby, who is laying on her and being so cozy. Sorry, my priorities have shifted. I have a cat. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we uh, you'll get to see the video. She does come up. She does come up and climbs on my shoulder while we're discussing. I forget we were discussing. She just she just demands attention, like literally. And I wasn't even in attention. her chair. I was in the other chair. She doesn't care. Although, however, this weekend I was able to take a nap, and I took her, and I was like, oh, come take a nap with me. And she's like, no, nah, go fuck yourself. But this is weird, though, because usually Schmoose is all about you. Yes, she loves me, but you're in her chair. You are in her chair. But, I mean, she's just a big, fluffy I mean, she's she, she's, not, she's not hating life right now. She's full of bees. Hi, Schmoozie. So, uh, yeah, so next week we're going to be talking about uh, Coraline. Um, Coraline. That's going to be a fun Talk show. About, oh, the, the other world yeah. with the other family. Yep. And the other mother. Yep. It's a lot darker than I remembered because the whole thing about YB is like. Why were you born? Yeah, like that's that's kind of fucked up. Um, but yeah, I do enjoy that style. And again, everyone always attributes it to, uh, to um, what's his name? Tim Burton. But it's not. It's actually a Neil Gaiman story. Maybe if I have time, I'm going to see if I can read it before then. I think I have it on my Kindle somewhere. But uh, I think that's about it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this. Buy the documentary. And uh, we will <gasps> see, see you, you next Thursday. Thursday.